Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. See those kids doing that. Absolutely. Anyway, have a great all show, right. all you guys, tonight. We'll, uh, we'll see you. I'm back in an hour, by the way, filling in for Elizabeth. So. All right, we'll catch you then. Mm-hmm. I'll, try, I'll try to steer it straight until <laughs> yeah, then. Thanks, right. buddy. All right, hello and welcome to the Hill. Here is how bad car break-ins have gotten in Washington. Even the Secret Service got hit. And it happened while they were protecting the granddaughter of the President of the United States. They were then forced to fire. What the White House is saying today coming up. Plus, Senator Tim Scott now out of the Republican primary race. So who stands to gain? The panel weighs in. And did you see that San Francisco is now putting up steel barriers? Why are they doing it? We'll explain. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Chris Steyerwald, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Scott Bolden is the former D.C. Democratic Party chairman. Ashley Davis is a former White House official in the George W. Bush administration. Mark Short is the former chief of staff to the vice president, Mike Pence. And Denise Gitsum is a Republican strategist. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. My goodness, did you hear about this? We started Georgetown just down the road from us right here, down the road from the White House as well. A scary situation last night involving the Secret Service, agents protecting President Biden's granddaughter, Naomi Biden, opened fire on a group of carjackers attempting to break into one of the Secret Service's unmarked vehicles. Now, the president's granddaughter was not near the vehicle at the time, but the situation nonetheless nonetheless forced gunfire from the Secret Service. You've been around the Secret Service for six, seven years now, give or take. Um, Having them pull out their weapon and shoot, not in broad daylight, I mean, this was last night, but that's that's an escalation, is it not? I wish they were protecting Brian Robinson and the Redskins last year. (laughs) The reality is there's a a lot more of these incidents happening in Washington, D.C. They're protecting the president's granddaughter. They should. Yeah, it's up by 40%, these carjackings, and, and uh, very often these are young kids, but then we've had incidents on video camera a few weeks ago in front of a restaurant where they pulled up and, and pulled out guns. So it's getting more dangerous. Obviously, uh, the mayor and the council need to be doing more because they're the elected officials. But what's bothersome about this case is that the Secret Service had to uh, draw their weapon. So there's more going on than that. I mean, if you, you, you see a carjacking, that's not where you would normally draw your weapon. So something else. So you think there's something else there? Yeah, Mm -hmm. had to be because otherwise they could have walked up on them or they could have taken off with the car or something. But to draw your weapon, that means someone's life was in danger or there was a threat of some kind where they felt they had to draw their weapon. There's more to this story. All right. So you look at uh, motor vehicle thefts, Washington, D.C. It's basically doubled uh, in the past year, more than 6,000 so far this year alone. Vehicle thefts up 100 percent, violent crime up 40 percent. The White House just a little while ago was asked about this. The Secret Service firing as they were uh, on duty protecting the president's granddaughter. Here was Corrine Jean-Pierre. 
that's something for Secret Service to speak to. I'm not going to talk about it from here. I spoke to uh, the crime more broadly and what the president has done since almost day one of his administration, starting with the, the, his first piece of legislation that he signed into law, with this, which is the American Rescue Plan, billions of dollars going into cities, going into states to make sure that they have the funding available to protect communities, to hire police officers. <coughs> That's the political answer there, is it not? Which I totally don't agree with. But go ahead. Do you, do you have something mm. to say? <laughs> no, I mean, I keep, I'm going to throw a little red meat and you're going to get mad at me. But no, this no. is this what happens when you defund our police and you have district attorneys that aren't enforcing. But who's defunded the police? Now, Biden has put more, more money into the police department. Our mayor. defunded the police. Washington, D.C. No, the mayor Washington hasn't defunded the police yes, at all. Yes, she has. Oh. Yes. If, if they she did. She called for this. Mm-hmm. They have, they're not defunding the police. They're investing in for social two years. programs. Because you got these young people out here. It takes a continuum of care to get them off the streets or to give them alternatives to But they're to also not getting drugs. prosecuted when they do this. Well, they certainly should, and that's the U.S. attorney's problem or challenge, not necessarily the I don't think there's generals. any doubt recruitment's down for police force across the country. Because they continue that, to see sure. policemen prosecuted for doing their job, and they continue to see efforts from the left to defund them. The DC I don't agree with that, DC but go right City ahead. Council passed uh, a uh, and overrode the mayor's veto. Yes, uh, a, a very aggressive suite of reductions uh, for penalties for offenses. And most astonishingly, when they did it, uh, carjackings was part of what of what they were uh, reducing the penalties for. Just as carjackings were going up, it was bad enough that Joe Biden, if you will recall, had to buck his own party and mm-hmm. sign the bill that said, nope, you can't do that. So th- this is something where Biden obviously is not on the same side as the defund the police, not on the same side of this stuff. But it's also true that you can't have the nation's capital right. in a city that cannot govern itself. That bill you're talking about actually enhanced the penalties, although it reduced some penalties depending on the crime. And so I'd beg to differ with you there. But let me give you statistics, a statistic. There are more people incarcerated in the District of Columbia than anywhere else in any major urban center, right? Is that per capita? Or? Per capita. Locking people up and calling for stringent, stringent uh, incarceration doesn't solve the crime problem. It doesn't. Because if it did, you wouldn't have a problem in D.C., but you do. And so there's more to fighting crime. As a former prosecutor, I know this. There's more to fighting crime than just locking people up. And the Republicans like to do that more than the Democrats, but it's a continuum of issues. That we need to solve. How would you solve this problem? No, I never Sorry. like to talk. I never like to disagree with Scott, as you guys know. But uh, Scott, I think one of the issues, one of the reasons that I would just disagree is that we've got a bunch of people all over America watching what's happening in our cities. And when you see mm-hmm. what the White House is doing, talking about how they've spent all this money on law enforcement, but there's actually no results, you've got to wonder if you're not being Bidenomic on the issue of crime now. I mean, look at if, if I was putting myself in the shoes of everyone else in D.C., right? That could have been any of us. It could have been you and your fancy car. But you don't have Secret Service to protect you. You don't have someone to jump out and grab guns and fire and scare the people away. I mean, I think you should because your car is fancy. But I just think that when we put ourselves in the everyday American shoes, get out of that Washington (laughs) bubble. Get out of that Washington bubble. Get out of the talking points. What we're dealing with is people are scared. And this White House is doing nothing to protect the people, especially when we start talking about siding with the people who are perpetrating the crime. Let's talk about securing Americans first, and then we'll deal with the right. issue of how we fix this problem systemically. I got great insurance. <laughs> they can have my car. I'm sure you Getting do. On. <laughs> Getting on now to the president's re-election chances. Uh, recently, he has been a bit more aggressive in attacking the former president, Donald Trump. And on Saturday, he posted this video. 
He's not a war hero. He's a war hero. He's, He's a, a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. But that is not quieting the private despair among Democrats who were worried that the president could lose next year. A new swing state poll shows President Biden losing to Donald Trump in a hypothetical head-to-head matchup. And an accompanying piece in Politico shows just how far some Democrats are willing to go. Ideas include trying to get Liz Cheney to recruit George W. Bush, wooing Mitt Romney, and bringing on former Obama campaign manager, Rahm Emanuel. I see you laughing over there. Uh, Politico has become nothing more than a Democrat activist newsletter anyhow, so it's not surprising <laughs> to be giving them bias. Okay, Mark, go. But I mean, look, I think we all know that, that, that right at this point, I think Biden and Trump have a symbiotic relationship. I think Biden's the only Democrat that Donald Trump could beat, and Trump is the only Republican that Joe Biden could beat. And so uh, I think that's where we're headed, though. It's a really interesting article, actually. And actually, I thought it was pretty creative on their part. But at the end of the they got me hooked, right? But at the end, and I agree with this, was the biggest point at the end was you got to change the messenger, not the not not the message. You got to make the messenger better and more uh, attractive to the voters, even Democrats. You actually. can see how out of touch and they are. In his eighties, he you know he's just got to be better and give him some points on it. Chris, they here's want the Cheney to, to. I'm sorry, they're so out of touch when they want a Cheney to talk to a Bush <laughs> right. to bring in a Romney potentially as <laughs> well. Here's, here's, here's the article. Here's how Biden can turn, around, turn it around. Not since Trump's 2016 election have the party leaders and lawmakers been so alarmed. What is notable is both the uniformity of these anxieties and how they mirror the discontent of the broader public. Well, first, I want to say, Scott, you're so good at what you do that they have to truck in three Republicans <laughs> just to try. You, it, it's a three-on-one just to keep you under control. I like them, too. That's, 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 that's how good you are uh, as a Democrat. Uh, look, uh, Joe Biden is way too old. Um, it is a consistent, pernicious problem that can't be spun out of. What Democrats have to hope is that Donald Trump is way too crazy uh, for America to accept uh, a return to power. And uh, I will agree uh, <laughs> with Mark that there is a, uh, a notional quality to this Politico piece. But it does speak to what will have to happen. And that ad that you saw, that Twitter ad mm-hmm. that you saw, or X, sorry, mm-hmm. um, that ads you wouldn't have seen before. Because what the Democrats want is Trump. Right. Uh, it's a very risky strategy because Donald Trump is a risky person uh, and he could win, as these polls show. But they want Trump, but they haven't been picking on Trump. They haven't been taking on Trump directly because, of course, they're they're looking for they're looking for the fight. They're looking for trouble. But that is a foretaste of what you get as soon as the Republican nominating process is locked up. If it's Donald Trump again and again and again, it will be an appeal to the decency and patriotism of Republicans and, and Republican leaners to say, you just can't put this guy you, back. You, you, you just came off the trail, Mark. Um, are you, is it your belief that it's going to be Trump-Biden? Like, is that inevitable? I don't want to say inevitable. There's a lot that can still happen. And, and who knows the different legal hurdles he still has. But I think it's certainly trending that way, Blake. I think the reality is it's hard to suggest there's been anything so far in this campaign cycle that has changed that. There's been no real bump from any of the debates thus far. I don't know why people would expect the fourth debate to have a different result. And I think as long as Donald Trump is continuing to dominate coverage with his legal trials, it's continuing to rally Republicans behind him. All right. All right. And then there is the other race. Uh, now there's one less Republican presidential hopeful. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott announcing he's out. 
I am suspending my campaign. I, I think the voters uh, who are the most remarkable people on the planet have been really clear that they're telling me uh, not now, Tim. I don't think they're saying, Trey, no, but I do think they're saying not now. All right. So that was last evening. And here's how The New York Times put it. Quote, Tim Scott suspends 24 campaign as his sunny message failed to resonate. <laughs> That's so mean. Uh, so I, I read that and I was like, did anyone hmm. see Trey Gowdy's response? I mean, yeah, he was shocked. He didn't know what was going on. His hair was standing. He was like, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. His hair is always Denise, this, uh, Denise, this was your candidate, right? Like, this is who you were hoping was, was going to make it to the yes. finish line. And he always will be. I'm telling you, I get a little misty <laughs> when I see be. that because I just think he's such a class act all around as a human being. Forget about the politician side. This is a man who literally stood there and took it and never gave it back the way he took it. And I just think that he set a new standard and changed the tone of what it could have been on those stages. And it'll be interesting to see what it's like now that he's not. The other thing so, I would say is that his Senate run ends, right? His next term ends right as this next election is teeing up. So when you heard him say, not now, I think he's op- keeping the door open for the future. And I hope that he does because we need more people like Tim Scott elevating the dialogue in Washington and bringing people together. So he, you know, the New York Times, you mentioned elevating the dialogue. Is the Times right there? Basically painting this as you can't have a sunny message and win in the Republican Party right now? I don't think that, I don't think that's, I don't think that's fair and I don't think that's true. And I thought that that was a mischaracterization. That headline. Look, Tim Scott uh, conducted himself honorably. He did have his uh, his one unfortunate moment with Nikki Haley talking about the curtains at the UN when he was trying to get a little more attention. But generally speaking, he did conduct himself like a gentleman. He did he did go through this the right way, and he made the correct choice to to leave when they didn't want him. Right. Not, I think messaging gets way too much emphasis. Voters respond to individuals, right, and they come up with a lot of their rationale post facto. Afterwards, they're like, well, it was this, it was that. But sometimes the dogs don't like the dog food. And, and that was Tim Scott's experience here, and that's okay. By the way, I want to I mention, mention, though, um, so we have that announcement last night. Nikki Haley's campaign comes out and says, hey, we're spending $10 bucks this upcoming month. So I, I was actually with her team before I came on here. Tell us. And they're, they've done very well the last 12 hours. And I think a lot, I think a lot of their, I don't have numbers right now, but a lot of their donor, a lot of his donors are going to her. And I think that I do disagree with you that that she is the one that's getting any momentum out of the debates, if anybody. Among Um, the press and donors. Well, her numbers have gone up 10%. And I I know they're still not, you know, what his are, meaning the former presidents. But She's fighting for number two anyway. She's not fighting for number one, is she? I don't know. I think she would say she's fighting for number two. I know what she would say, (laughs) but the reality is she's down 40 points, too. Right? Not if you look at some of these states. So he, here's the problem with Tim Scott. And I'm going to respectfully disagree with you, Chris. This sunny message, this positive message, this kind of old school Republican, Republican, I'm sorry, Reagan-esque messaging is, is great for him. But that's not where the Republican Party is right now. I mean, 
Donald Trump is 40 points ahead, and he doesn't have a sunny message or positive message. He has got a negative message, if you will, across the board, and that's where the Trump supporters are, and that's why he's in control of the party, and the Trump supporters are in control of the party. They're, they're not only, nice there's people. There's still only 30% of the Republican Party that's for Trump. Trump, Trump, yeah, is running as a, Trump is running as a de facto incumbent, right? Yeah. Uh, he is the most recent Republican nominee for president. And so the way you always have to, I, I hate to repeat myself, but the way you have to think about the Republican Party is about 35% of Republicans are Trump. About 25% are anti-Trump. The rest, a bare plurality, are just, they just want a Republican to win. They don't care who it is particularly. So they why, just, why is Trump up by 40 points and going higher and everyone else is on the do downswing you, except for Nikki Haley? Do you believe How do you explain Paul? that? Well, she, 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 has, <laughs> she has had some momentum. Uh, she has been moving forward. And the other thing I would say is there's another debate that is coming up, and it's going to be the best debate yet. You know why? Because it's the first debate on news nation. <laughs> it's going to come to you from Tuscaloosa, Alabama on December 6th. It's going to have Elizabeth Vargas. It's going to have Megyn Kelly, and it's going to have Eliana Johnson. And I just came out of a meeting where we're talking about it. I can tell you the questions are mwah. Okay. We'll leave it there. Did you create them all? <laughs> Did you create them all? He's in the. He's, he's, no, he's I didn't create them all. How would I? I with those three women, you think that I'm telling you them what to do? Exactly. No, 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 no. Coming up, he plans to leave back. office, but he is already on tour. So, what is Senator Jill Manchin doing, and how does it play out nationally? Steyerwald breaks it down when the Hill returns here on News Nation. Stay with us. All right, welcome back. So last week, as you might know, uh, the West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin shook up the 2024 Senate map with his announcement that he'd be retiring. But the West Virginia senator also left the door open to a third-party presidential run next year. Could it happen? News Nation's Chris Steyerwall is here to break it all down. Chris? Now, you would think, you would think that uh, having an incumbent Democratic senator uh, step down and not run for re-election would be bad news for Democrats. Not really, because they were going to lose that seat anyway. Joe Manchin barely won the seat in 2018, which was a really good year for Democrats uh, against a very weak candidate that Republicans had. This time, it's going to be a quadrennial year. The Republican nominee, especially if it's Trump, will win by more than 40 points. And the state's popular Republican governor is in a boat race for their nomination for the Senate. So now that Joe Manchin's not running for the Senate... That means that Democrats don't have to pay lip service. Never forget, when you're talking about Joe Manchin in the Senate, there is nothing that progressives hate. There is no one that progressives hate in America more than Senator Joe Manchin. Uh, with the white-hot heat of 10,000 coal-fired power plants, <laughs> do they hate Joe, Joe Manchin for what he has done to screw up climate agenda, Green New Deal, bup, 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 bup. So what does that mean? It means, if you look at the map right here, that... Now it's a smaller space that Democrats can focus their resources. They don't have to pay lip service to an incumbent. They can just focus on these states. These are the keys. Ohio, Montana, Nevada, Arizona. Those are the four that Democrats basically have to sweep uh, if they want to hold on to the Senate. They're probably not going to hold on to the Senate. But those are the four that they would have to sweep. They don't have to worry about West Virginia anymore. Okay, so what's Joe Manchin going to do? He said a bunch of gobbledygook about we're going to see if we can energize the center and I'm going to go on a walkabout around the country and talk to people, blah, 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 blah. What does that mean? It means he's running for the no labels nomination. Uh, what's no labels? It's Joe Lieberman. It's Larry Hogan. Uh, it's a bipartisan group. Uh, squish, 
reviled as squishes by the extremes at both parties, but they're going to meet in Dallas in April, and they're going to pick a nominee uh, to be on the ballot in, they say, all 50 states by then. Joe Manchin has been running for this for a while. Now he's really running for it, and he and his daughter are going around the country. They're trying to raise $100 million. Problem. They don't know what it takes to try to win the No Labels nomination because No Labels doesn't know what it's going to take to try to win the No Labels nomination. But he is in the running for it. But look at the, look at the value that that nomination already has. I want you to look at the ballot access for No Labels. Okay, it's not that many, but look what's on there. Big, important swing states, Arizona, Nevada, North Carolina. Florida is very significant there. Florida, if no labels is on the ballot in Florida, and they could just do 3 or 4%, if they took it out of Donald Trump's hide, uh, it could definitely throw the election. Look right here, presidential election results. We have a thing with the pictures of these guys that you see 10 million times a day. They're right there. They, you know what they look like. Aha, there they are. Uh, but just to be clear, it's pretty close, actually, in Florida. So... Here's the deal. Joe Manchin is pursuing a thing of value. In order to do it, he has to suck up to Republicans a lot. You know what would be a good place to suck up to Republicans right now? A narrowly divided United States Senate in which he will have the opportunity over the coming weeks to vote on a bunch of stuff that will make Democrats furious. And now he doesn't have to worry about what Democrats think about him at all because they can't threaten to take away his reelection money. They can't do anything else. Prediction, Joe Manchin is going to be an agent of disruption in a big way for the rest of his lame duck session because that will help him run for the no labels nod. There you go. Starwell. Breaks it down. Those are things I said. Yep. Um, I was. So you're basically. And in Florida, you're saying with 360,000 votes there from 2020, if he picks it off one way or another, he could he could move no, the state. No one labels. Way or, there's no appetite for no labels to run a Democrat, basically. So Joe Manchin has to become a Republican. When you get when you get right down to it, if the first rule for no labels is. First, you can't help Donald Trump become president, which I think, based on who's donating to them and what's going on, you can't do that. Joe Manchin has a problem. He's a D. Uh, if you, if they wanted, if they want to block, make sure that they block Trump from the White House, they need somebody that Republicans will vote for, but Democrats won't. Joe Manchin has a, has a little moment in the Senate where he can cause disruption and rebrand hmm. himself. And he has serious cash. Sorry for yeah. interrupting. He has some serious cash from his reelect. I think he has eleven million. And he and Heather are raising $100 million. But I also think that one thing that I don't think you mentioned in regards to no labels is that it's on, they're only going to run a candidate if it's Biden well, and Trump. Well, it's hard. And you're right. They do want to have a Republican as the top of the ticket. I th- Mark, Sh- Mark Short, you have a, uh, a Ron DeSantis <laughs> level of a grimace going on. Down there. So I feel like you didn't agree with my analysis. <laughs> well, Chris, I, I never... To not, I never like to disagree with your analysis. I do think that Manchin is going to continue to be a thorn in the side of Democrats, and particularly as unleashed to any extent that he felt any allegiance still to the Democrats. But I think any third-party candidate helps Donald Trump because the reality is that Donald Trump's support is so polarized that people are never going to leave him, and the people always vote against him. If you're given an alternative to who they vote against, and there's Biden plus other choices, mm-hmm. there's a lot of disaffected Republicans who don't want to vote for Biden. 
If you give them another choice, they'll go there. The people who are for Trump are never going to leave Trump. I agree. I agree 100 percent that for no labels choosing. Manchin doesn't make sense for me for no labels to choose. What would make sense would be somebody like former Indiana Governor Mitch Daniels or Hmm. somebody who would actually appeal to conservatives that would be a place for that to go. Uh, that that uh, would make sense to me in terms of playing spoiler. I don't know how Manchin gets there, but this is a moment I, where he could I, try. I, I don't think Manchin hurts the Democrats or the Democrats are concerned about Manchin because I've seen some polling that says he's going to pull more Republicans than he is from the Democrats because of his performance in uh, the Senate over the last two or three years. So I don't think that's the issue. I also don't think no labels, if you believe them and their leadership, is going to field a candidate if all they're going to do is play spoiler. I know that's political rhetoric, <laughs> but I also think that's political reality. Too. I'll give you last one. No, the, like the polling often shows that with third-party candidates, and then and the collection day comes, they go home, but and it our, collapses. But if the libertarians take RFK Jr., that guy will be a, a torch to Donald Trump's That's what I agree with that's you on that. Hurt. I think he hurts 2%. Trump. Coming up, San Francisco cleans up. The city prepares to host a high-stakes meeting between President Biden and the Chinese President Xi Jinping. So is this what it takes to get the city in order? That right there, you see those barriers that they put up? San Francisco's doing it. Why? And wait until you hear Governor Newsom's answer. And are we about to get the newest version of Trump TV? Why the former president hopes so. When the Hill on News Nation returns. I know folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. Um, that's true because it's true. But it's also true, for months and months and months prior to APEC, we've been having different conversations. <laughs> it's true, because it's true. It's true. Is that your and answer that's a fact. to President Biden? Uh, <laughs> all right, welcome back. That, of course, is California Governor Gavin Newsom admitting the reasons for San Francisco's massive cleanup ahead of the big meeting between President Biden and China's Xi Jinping on Wednesday. But check this out. Have you seen this? Metal barriers, those right there, uh, are now being installed around the area. San Francisco with barriers. Denise, uh, this is your hometown. Talk to me. (laughs) Yes. Well, first of all, good on Gavin for being honest for once. Second of all, this is the cleanest I have ever seen my city. I am so impressed. Bring she back as often as it takes that I can go shopping without being accosted or stepping on somebody's whatever on the street. And third, walls are like lawyers. Nobody wants one until you need one. I mean, look, it's interesting to see how leaders, elected officials by the people, are able to prioritize the things that they really care about. And when you're more focused on courting and ensuring the safety of a dictator that has bashed America and is seen by people on both sides of the aisle as the biggest threat to our country than you are about taking care of the people who are paying the taxes for all of those barriers, you've really got to wonder if you've got the right person in office. You say it's never looked better, huh? Ever. I mean, listen, I would love for them to stay. Come on back, President Xi. If you can stay long enough to bring back Nordstrom and Sachs and Neiman's, I would be so happy. All right. Well, from that barrier right there to a uh, different kind of barrier when you go down to the southern border and the crisis there in a matter of hours, the House of Representatives here in Washington will vote on an effort to impeach 
The Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, reintroduced articles of impeachment last week over the secretary's handling of the southern border. Green is accused of Mayorkas violating the Secure Fence Act, a law that requires uh, perfection at the border. This you were employee number one, Ashley, at DHS. Yeah, um, I know this is. This is right down your alley. Is this the right thing to do, though? I start getting hot. Um, Well, first of all, I don't believe in any of the president's border policies. But I don't think that we continue to make impeachment such a political tool. And it didn't go through regular order, which means it didn't go through committee. This is Marjorie Taylor Greene just throwing this out. I I don't agree with the process. I remember talking to Mark Short at the White House, head of legislative affairs, and he would say, let me tell you, this has to happen, and then that has to happen, and we get these sides in and so on and so forth this is not that right i don't know exactly what you're talking about that was my way of saying you were you were bringing this no 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 you were bringing the sides together you were making things happen i mean this is totally different than like regular legislative order that actually agree entirely ashley i mean this is the reality is it's probably intended to highlight the issue there's no doubt the Biden administration has failed miserably as it comes to border policy but uh uh, when we get to the habit of, of belittling um, impeachment, I think right. it, it's wrong. And I think the reality is that it's obviously not. So when you look at uh, southern border apprehensions, uh, about 270,000 last month. It was the third highest month on record, I believe. Or two, Last month was 230,000. The month before that, 270,000. Fiscal year, 23. So the last 12 months, 2.4 million uh, border encounters along the southern border. There is the issue of whether or not he should be impeached. Set the process aside. Do you? Do both of you feel that impeachment is proper if, the, if there's a right process? I think the American people are hopefully going to hold the president accountable for this. This is ultimately the president's policy. Agreed. I mean, it's been an absolute failure, but I think that's what voters should hold the president accountable for. There's no legal basis for to impeach uh, the secretary. You can disagree with his policies. You can disagree with his performance. But impeachment is for high crimes and misdemeanors, and you just can't make one out here. I think immigration, I think the Republicans and the Democrats have both failed at immigration and the process, and they just haven't fixed it because it's a political issue that keeps giving to both parties. By the way, as you were talking, quite literally, they were telling me in my ear that um, President Biden and the Mexican president will be meeting on the sidelines November 17th, what day is that? Thursday, right? Friday. Mm-hmm. Friday? Nice. Okay. Uh, so President Biden and uh, the leader of Mexico will be meeting, and you got to imagine this issue, of course, is going to come up. You're going to have a hard time believing this, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. Marjorie Taylor Greene may be interested in getting attention for herself. It's possible that she may be interested in trying to get attention for herself. And we should also remember the context around this is that she just lost out. She was on the losing side of a struggle for the House Speakership, and she's given a lot of heck uh, to Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, on spending deals and stuff. Right. And I'm assuming this is a way to say, but good for you, MGT, or M- what, MTG. You're, MTG can, yeah. You, you yeah. get to put your resolution. All right, by the way, former President Trump is looking to expand on his uh, immigration crackdown if he is elected for a second term. The New York Times first reporting on his uh, plans for 2025 after speaking with several advisors. Here's what the former president has in mind for a second term. A Muslim immigration ban, reimposing a health policy to block asylum claims, mass deportations, huge detention camps, birthright citizen, uh, citizenship crackdown, and expanding ideological screenings. The headline in the New York Times uh, was the following, sweeping raids, giant camps, and mass deportations. 
Donald Trump Jr. responded by saying, they say it's like a bad thing. You know the president's, uh, former president's immigration policy. What do you think it looks like in a second term if he's elected? Is it that? I don't think there's any public statement he makes that isn't a negotiation. And I think he recognizes that there's a lot of attention on Biden's failed border policies. So he puts something out there like that that the media then will cover. I don't think there's any doubt as well that he did a better job of securing the border during his four years as president. And so, but those policies largely were the Remain in Mexico policy. It was not the mass deportations. It was not birthright citizenship. But I think he knows by putting this out there, it draws more attention to the failure of the current administration on this issue. And it's See, right those there. are the arguments that you used to make it quiet in the background when you were talking about right? Just like that. Gave me grief He's, for it. There it is. still on talking points. Um, but go no, this, is, this, is, this, is, this right. is red meat. And if you go and look at any top issues for the presidential candidates right now, it's crime, border, and the economy. Denise? Oh, sorry. D- Denise and then Scott, go. Denise. To Ashley's issue, yeah, to, to Ashley's point, I mean, Republicans have an 18% advantage on this issue, and it's no longer just a border issue where people are upset who are actually being affected, because now every state, every every single city that's major that they're sending migrants to has become a border city or county or state. And so I think that it's really, first of all, I've never, ever seen anything that Trump has said recently that doesn't sound like 2016 or 2020. And so it shouldn't be that much of a surprise, though I love it when the New York Times feigns shock. Mm. Um, But it does really speak to the weakness of Democrats on this issue. And you know when Donald Trump finds a weakness, he's like a shark with blood, just that one drop, he's going to go after it. In this case, it's just a bucket full of blood, and he's going for the guttural. But it's not it's not a weakness. Donald Trump's presentation of what he's proposing in that report is uh, all ask illegal. The voters, Scott. It's been struck I mean, down. It's been struck down I mean, by the courts, including the Supreme Court. But it doesn't matter. He, it doesn't matter to him. So the Democrats, I, I'd yeah, rather be oh, on the right side the, of the law go to the voters, than be doing illegal things to close the border. And by the way. Are those policies going to be across the board for all immigration? Or are we just talking about black and brown people? Like he says, it's a starting point of a negotiation. But Scott, you're being being rational. Yeah. This is, do you really think people that are voting in these early states are going to sit down and be like, you know what, this isn't legal? No, they they vote for Trump because they like Trump. But this this is really illegal, bad stuff, guys. All right. None of us on on this panel could agree that if he implemented that, that he wouldn't be taking on a dictator It's all stuff he said before. It's all stuff he said before. This is, we've make had a Muslim right. man before. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that people don't. By the way, I want to there's, the there's, border too. There's more people that don't look like me. Th- there's more. There's more Trump to talk about, and in, in, in your wheelhouse, <laughs> there you go. because uh, the former president and his lawyers now want to make his court case more transparent. Ooh. Oh gosh, sign already. Our camera is going to be allowed into the courtroom. And speaking of court, by the way, they did it. Congratulations. But what did they actually do? The Supreme Court now finally laying out a code of ethics. So what are the guardrails? that the highest court in the land just put on itself. Will the lifestyles of the rich and famous continue? That's when The Hill on News Nation returns. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, welcome back to The Hill. So they did it, but should we be applauding 
Today, the Supreme Court announced that it is adopting its first ever code of ethics following a wealth of recent criticism. Now, the code is nearly 14 pages long and reads in part, quote, a justice should neither knowingly lend the prestige of the judicial office to advance the private interests of the justice or others, nor knowingly convey or permit others to convey the impression that they are in a special position to influence the justice. Scott, what struck me about this was you needed, like, a basic understanding of the English language <laughs> and, like, <laughs> some sort of reading comprehension to see what the Supreme Court put forth. This wasn't, like, complicated legal stuff. Right. This was, like, oh, here's our code of ethics. Super broad. Like, how did, what you just put up on the screen? That how was, like, you, the wordiest, toughest part of it, right. by the way. How do you enforce that? Who interprets that? Are you self regulating and how do you interpret that and how do the justices interpret that as they go through their day-to-day life with their very rich republican friends or democrats they didn't say names they didn't say names so they did not mention names in this but you could clearly read clarence thomas exactly. and so does uh, sonia sotomayor in some of this stuff and alito yeah, yeah. yeah. But what, uh, that's a, there's both. a Democrat. No, you said Democrats. He, did, he got there. He got there. Okay. But by the way, and, but by the way, and Denise, and Denise, come on in on this too. What what struck me was there was nothing in there about prohibited travel, right? Like they basically left it up to the justices on this stuff. After you know, you look at Clarence Thomas and the the luxury trips that he was basically taking every year. Denise. Yeah, I think it needs to be probably more defined. I think they need to write some additional, you know, interpretation of it. This is a win for all Americans. We need to restore confidence in the justice system. And nobody should be held to a higher standard than those people who ultimately decide what is and isn't constitutional. So, yeah, I'm sure that there's got to be a lot of nuancing. (laughs) I I think it's a win for Americans because we need to believe, really. I, I mean, I really believe in transparency. I'm with Amy Coney Barrett on this. I mean... I think that we do need to hold everyone to the same standard. And unlike Scott, I would like to point out that this is not something that only Democrats are for. A lot of Republicans, all Republicans that I know, would be for more transparency. And so I'm sure they'll work out the nuances. And right. this also goes to prove, to your point, Blake, there's when lawyers want to charge you less or they're not getting paid, they're going to use normal language because all that legalese costs a lot. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of court, are we about to witness the newest form of Trump TV? If former President Trump has his way, you will be able to tune in live to his federal election interference trial. I want this trial to be seen by everybody in the world. The prosecution wishes to continue this travesty in darkness, and I want sunlight. So federal trials are not uh, televised. Jack Smith doesn't want it to be televised. Donald Trump wants it to be televised. Uh, yeah, how do, can I ask this? How, yeah, how does this work? Now that I'm taking over for Blake's job, <laughs> how does this work? How does it like? How does the judge make a decision? Well, it's not a judicial decision. The feds just don't allow they it. Don't. They don't allow. So what's going to happen? Well, it they, won't happen. It oh, won't okay. happen. That's what Thank will happen. Thank you for taking over for me. Go right ahead. Yeah. What, is, what, what will happen is it won't. That's what, is, what will happen. It's politically crafty by the president, knowing yeah. that, because then it looks like Jack Smith and the prosecutors yeah. are trying to hide stuff, and he's trying to be transparent. Because deep down, Donald Trump doesn't want a camera in that courtroom based on the evidence that's you don't think coming, so? I'm coming against him. Uh, on what, I, I think from a litigation criminal defense standpoint, he doesn't want that. Now, 
if you believe that his campaign is made up of his criminal trials right. and civil trials and his criminal trials are made up of his campaign, that is his campaign, then, yeah, I think you're right. It's very clever on his part. And he'd love to be in court and perform and create a, cir- a, a circus atmosphere for his right. followers. That would help him with the, the nomination. The right. federal court system, like the Supreme Court we were talking about, where there's a little hocus pocus involved uh, that we so this magic thing happens behind the curtain where it happens in here in this room. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do not want to take all of that away. We do not want to take all of the magisterium away mm-hmm. from our federal court system. That means that Supreme Court justices basically have to police themselves and they have to do they have we have to count on them to do that as leaders of a branch of government. And we have to leave the cameras, please leave the cameras out of federal courtrooms. I just beg you, please. So also catching some attention over the weekend uh, from that rally as well. Donald Trump saying this. We pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country that lie and steal. When you see the former president say that? I mean, Donald Trump says a lot of things. Uh, we just had a graphic up where he's going to keep Muslim. He's going to have a religious test for entry into the United States, and he's going to run deportation forces around the country and round everybody up. He didn't do any of that. He said he would do that before. He did not do any of it. Language like that is designed to draw in media attention, get uh, Democrats' heads exploding, and get the New York Times to run a headline that says, Donald Trump hates people like vermin. I'm not saying that he doesn't hate those people, and I'm not saying that he wouldn't want to be cruel to them if he could. But, you know, I, I choose to take him... Uh, literally, but not seriously. All right, well, he's a fascist. That's fascist abatement. No. But he's no. also that a mastermind. No. Get all the media. Let me get Mark. Mark, no, Mark knows him. Okay. He's not fascist. He's not somebody who has that deeply held political view one way or the other. I agree with Chris entirely. All right, I go well, by programming. My statements. A programming note for next hour. Congress uh, is taking another step toward uncovering the truth about UAPs. The House passing an amendment to encourage the renewal of David Grush's security clearance. So coming up. Connell McShane will be speaking with Congressman Eric Burleson of Missouri, who proposed that very amendment and sits on the House Oversight Committee. That is uh, about seven and a half minutes from now. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Vargas reports six o'clock Eastern right here on News Nation. But before we go, he is the mayor of New York City and his electronic devices were seized by the FBI. Are we getting a better idea as to why? Final thoughts from the panel right after the break. President Kennedy's assassination shocked the world, but questions remain. Ross Coulthard visits Dallas, exploring the mysteries that have captivated the public for generations. Unsolved, the JFK assassination, Sunday at 9, 8 central on News Nation. Children are the greatest joy and our best hope for a better future. Friends, they are the future. But did you know that millions of kids are facing hunger every day? Food is not just food. It's energy, health, confidence, hope, and even love. Yes, love. Thank you! Learn more about how No Kid Hungry is helping end child hunger in America at HelpNoKidHungry.org. A healthy life starts with great sleep. Wake refreshed with Avocado's GOTS Certified Organic Green Mattress. Delivering breathable, back-loving support natural materials from avocado's own sustainable wool and latex farms easy financing a one-year sleep trial and deep 
restorative slumbers. Organic sleep awaits at avocadomattress.com. Substance use disorder and addiction is so isolating. And so as a black woman in recovery, hope must be loud. It grows louder when you ask for help and you're vulnerable. It is the thread that lets you know that no matter what happens, you will be okay. When we learn the power of hope, recovery is possible. Find out how at startwithhope.com. Brought to you by the National Council for Mental Wellbeing, Shatterproof, and the Ad Council. At Susan G. Komen, we believe that ending breast cancer needs all of us working together. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to honor the loved one you've just lost, we have a place for you here. Because of you, we're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Visit Komen.org and be a part of our Susan G. Komen community today. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We go through safety training and try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. You're listening to News Nation. To get America's fastest growing news channel on your screen, go to joinnn.com. This Black Friday, Antenna TV is having a black and white blowout. Sounds like a lot of fun. Watch TV how it was meant to be in glorious black and white. Hey, that looks good. A full day of your favorite classic shows in magnificent monochrome. Your television satisfaction is guaranteed. This you have got to see. Watch Antenna TV's Black and White Friday Marathon, November 24th, starting at 5 Eastern on Antenna TV. A message from Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. I came to Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous overweight and depressed. I was dieting, binging, stealing food, and lying about it for years. For help, call 781-932-6300 or visit foodaddicts.org. I knew I had a weight problem. I didn't know I was addicted to food. The FA program gave me a healthy body. I'm free from obsessing about my weight or food. Call FA 781-932-6300 or visit us on our website at foodaddicts.org. Pass it on. Today my bank made a big mistake, but I forgave them. My server spilled water on me, but I forgave him. My toddler drew lipstick on the wall. Was I ever mad? It got me thinking. I can forgive my bank and my server, but I'm upset with my own kid? I mean, what's most important here? So, tonight, the two of us are doing lipstick art. On paper. Forgiveness is in you. Pass it on. PassItOn.com The Mo is calling. For years, people around the world have been united by the power of the moustache. This Movember, unite to take on mental health, suicide, prostate and testicular cancers. Come together, grow together, raise funds, save lives. Change the face of men's health. Sign up at Movember.com. All right, welcome back to The Hill. We are learning more about the investigation into the New York City Mayor Eric Adams' campaign. 
Uh, federal prosecutors reportedly looking into whether or not Adams took illegal donations and conspired with foreign donors to allow the opening of a skyscraper housing the Turkish consulate general. Now, this news coming after FBI agents last week raided the home of Mayor Adams' chief campaign fundraiser. The mayor is defending his role in the whole situation, saying, quote, I have not been accused of wrongdoing, and I will continue to cooperate with investigators. Scott, help me here, because the FBI met him on the street and said, your security goes that way, you come this way with us, and they took his electronic devices. They handled the New York City mayor like he was just some dude, right? Well, and, and versus just saying, hey, meet us here, you know, come on into the office, let's talk. So uh, he could still be a witness, not necessarily a target or subject of their investigation. The electronics, they clearly believe there's information on there, possibly from his chief of staff, uh, that, that would be helpful to their investigation. I hope there were prior conversations between him and his lawyers and the feds and whoever's investigating, because normally there is. But for some reason, they believed the surprise approach uh, was better because they did not want to lose the, either the evidence or they had some mm. feeling that the evidence would, be, would, would, would go away. And so they walked up on him. Unusual, but it doesn't connote guilt or connote no, I'm not saying that it it's does. elevated I'm just saying, more. Yeah. He could still be a witness to the investigation of his chief of staff right. or his chief fundraiser. Chris is looking at him with shifty eyes. No, <laughs> no shifty eyes. I noticed I that. Just love I, to see him work. I love to see. I love to see a good lawyer work, and, I love it. and it's good. It's we have nothing good. to hide, and I am not a crook. Exactly. I am not a crook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were just there. I feel heat from both sides. They were looking at me like this. 